Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. I have on today Twitter fame is Missy Mitchell Macbeth, and you're at Powerlift, correct? That's correct. So how's that going along? Um, I have just started the position on June the 20th. Um, so it was kind of a whirlwind because I had that, and then I had NHSSCA NatCon like three days later. So I went to the home office in Iowa for a couple days to see the um, factory and just kind of meet all the office staff and whatnot, um, and then did NatCon and then came back. And it's just been kind of trying to, you know, navigate those first 30 days um, and learn. I'm learning a software program called SketchUp where I do 3D weight room renderings, um, and I have zero experience with it. And they have, um, they've flown in like a SketchUp expert to do like some, you know, one-on-one training. Um, but for the most part, I've been learning just by doing and also off YouTube tutorials. Um, so it's a little bit like being a first year coach and teacher where you're throwing a lot of things um, and you just kind of have to um, figure out a way to get it done. Um, but I'm definitely not bored um, and I'm definitely loving it so far. That's awesome, Missy. So kind of kick things off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, where have you been? Uh, where have you been and where you're at currently, that sort of thing. Um, so I started my career in Copper's Cove, Texas, which is in central Texas as a, I was the varsity assistant volleyball coach, head powerlifting coach, and then uh, high jump coach. Um, and through that, I was there for four years. Um, that's where I met my mentor, Reb Brock. And he kind of took me under his wing in the weight room and said, hey, you're really good at this. I think you could do this full time. Um, so I decided that I wanted to go get a master's degree and do an internship. Um, so I did my master's at Baylor and then did an internship at TCU, which turned into a full-time position at TCU. So in total, I was there for seven years, uh, working women's basketball, women's golf, and then indoor volleyball. Um, at the seven year mark, I was kind of looking for a new challenge and also a little bit more work-life balance. Um, and I took the position at Byron Nelson high school in the Dallas Fort Worth area of Texas. Um, and I did that for the last six years. Um, and then of course, you know, like we just mentioned, I just recently transitioned into, uh, assistant sales and business development director here in Texas, um, with a company called Powerlift. Um, and so starting a new adventure there. That's awesome, Missy. So, um, just know a little bit more about you. Do you have any hobbies outside of the weight room? Of course. Um, hobby number one, and I didn't preface the, I, you and I spoke beforehand and I know you have this challenge as well, but. Um, I have four dogs and they're all rescues and each have um, varying levels of behavioral issues or concerns. Um, and so I spend a lot of time training and managing them. Um, one of my dogs, Indy, who's 
probably going to walk in here any minute. Um, she trains agility, which is a brand new sport for me as well. Um, and actually quite, um, it, there's a lot of carryover between training humans and training dogs. So it's been kind of fun. Um, and then I play beach volleyball on the side for myself. That's awesome. So I was talking to Aislinn Garza right before we got on here. And I asked her, I was like, do you have any questions for Missy that uh, you think are important or do you think that, uh, that you want to know? And she came up with a couple of questions for me. So the first one she had was, why did you leave TCU to go to the high school realm? And then from the high school realm to powerlift. Um, the transition from TCU to Byron Nelson, um, there's a couple reasons, not all are politically correct. Um, so on that front, it was, you know, you're getting off of a charter flight on a Wednesday night at 2 a.m. Um, and you have a team to train the next morning at five. So at that point, there's no logistically like the 30 minute commute home because you couldn't afford to live near campus. Um, and then 30 minute commute back, you're losing another hour. So I would just sleep under my desk. Um, and so you're going on two hours of sleep and then you get up and you brush your teeth and you put on your little clothes that match the team and you go train a team at 5 a.m. Um, and then you have to be at basketball practice that starts at like 4:30, and you get told by the coaching staff, like, you don't look like you feel good today. And it's like, well, guys, y'all rolled your bags through at noon. I slept under my desk last night. Um, and so the physical toll that that was taking on me um, got to the point that I kind of started to think that maybe there's, there was a way to be a strength coach without negatively impacting your own health. Um, and so I kind of started looking around at some high school options. Obviously, as I mentioned before, I'd been a high school coach, um, so I had experience in that realm. And I also felt like you know, just seeing what kids came in with at the collegiate level from a movement deficiency standpoint you know, thinking that I would be able to go back and reach them at a more, um, I guess, fundamental time in their athletic careers um, and being able to offer quality training programs to kids at that age, because so many places were deficient um, in those. And, and I really feel like I was able to scale that impact, not just to my school, but, you know, to other schools through my work with the NHSSCA, and then also like putting out the content that I try to through writing articles and doing podcasts and whatnot. Um, because I feel like the high school level is a really important age. Um, and so I feel like it's really, really important to have qualified strength coaches um, working with that age group. Gotcha. And then from high school to powerlift, I mean, what, what made you go and have that jump? Um, so number one, it's a really good opportunity to work for a brand that I obviously trust a lot. Um, when it came to doing my own two rooms at Byron Nelson, um, I basically, I was very fortunate that I'm not in a school district that was like, we have to have three quotes and this, that, whatever. Um, they just let me get what I wanted. Um, and so I didn't even mess with talking to anybody else. And in fact, had a couple other vendors reach out and I was just like, nope, power lift, great equipment, great quality. You know, I've got a rack in our, like one of my old Byron Nelson racks. Um, it's like 10 years old. Well, when we moved out, I purchased the rack from power lift that we traded in for credit. And it's still like as good as new in my garage. So the quality is unmatched. So it was a great opportunity to go work for a brand that, um, that I trust and believe in. Um, my partner here in Texas name is Sean McPherson. And he and I go way, way back um, to when he was the women's basketball strength coach at the University of Texas and I was at TCU. Um, he and I didn't really see eye to eye, um, which is kind of funny that we're working together now. Um, but he works 
he's got kind of that, um, I wouldn't say we have an old school strength coaches mentality, but we're definitely, you know, a little, we're, we're not millennials kind of thing. Um, so we have that, that old school kind of grind mentality of, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes and we're going to work at a really fast pace. Um, so it's good to work with someone who is as attentive to detail as I am. Um, so it was just a really good opportunity from a company and then also a coworker perspective. Beyond that, you know, making the transition from the college level to the high school level. Um, this is no knock on the high school level whatsoever. There are people that are suited for that for a long period of time. Um, I was not. Um, for me, the best part of strength and conditioning is the really, really deep quality relationships that you build with your athletes, which you can do at the college level. And yes, you can build relationships with high school kids, but I was seeing my kids based on how, you know, I had two weight rooms. There's one of me, how our schedule was structured. I would see my kids one day a week. And so I love strength and conditioning. I love kids, but the position wasn't as fulfilling for me from a relationship standpoint as it was at the collegiate level. Um, and so Coupled with that, the expectation level at the high school level and the training at the high school level is tremendously scaled down from what it is at the collegiate level. So those two things kind of coupled together made it where, you know, I was having this, this conversation with another coach the other day. They're like, oh God, I'm really having to get my mind right to go coach this group. Like, I'm just really not feeling it. I'm like, listen, like that's a switch. Like you just be able, have to be able to, no matter what's going on in your life, like if you've got a group of kids to train, You've got to hit that switch and be able to go coach. And what I found is in the last couple of years, like I didn't have that switch anymore. And it was like, it was taking more and more and more for me to get mentally prepared for group. And so finally it was just like, you know, I think it's time for 17 years. Like, I think it's time for me to do something outside of coaching for a little while. Um, and fortunately this opportunity came up when it did. So I was able to make a, a, a great transition. That's awesome. So let's kind of peel back a little bit. And I know something about what you just said. Um, you're saying that you're only seeing your kids one day a week. I mean, were you relying on sport coaches to teach and implement the program that you set up for them? Yes. So, yeah, so go for it. Okay. So kind of how we navigated that. And that was an evolution over the six years that I was there at first. It was like, I was trying, you know, I had a big meeting with everybody and we went through our teaching progression for our, our major exercises, clean squat, bench, whatever. And then it was like, okay, cool. We know the big stuff, but all the little stuff, like we've got to piece that in every four weeks as we change, you know, as we modify our program a little bit. So then it's like, okay, I need you guys to come meet as a staff. Well, they're high school coaches. They don't all have the same conference period. We can't meet as a staff. So then it was like, all right, I'm going to identify one person on each staff and I'm going to meet with that person. And that person's going to be me when I'm in the other weight room. And then it was like, you know, I'm doing that with 13 different coaches. Some of them are now responsible for two groups because there's freshmen and then there's the varsity athletic period. And so even that was becoming, it wasn't necessarily a burden on me because that's my job. That's all I was, was a strength coach. But for them, they're teaching two classes. They drive a bus, they work three sports or something like that. And then they have to be the weight room coach. Then they have to find a time to set up a meeting. They learn three new exercises and all the nuances of that. Like that's not fair to them. So I set up a video library uh, called Virtual Macbeth. 
And basically that made it where I just put in the new videos for the, um, for the training block and the coaches could reference that at their leisure. And the other piece to that was some of those coaches, they've been assigned the weight room, but that's not their thing, or they don't want it to be their thing, or they're very nervous and hesitant. They don't have a background in it. Well, if that's the case, they could just pull up the video on a phone or an iPad and show the kids. And then the kids have seen me teach it. And then all they're having to do is make smaller adjustments. Um, Because I think that a lot of times as strength coaches, we get on our high horse about like, oh, these sport coaches don't care. These sport coaches, they teach it wrong and do this and that. And it's like, well, guys, these sport coaches are under a lot more burden sometimes on their campuses than we are. Like I had a great job in that I didn't teach or really have many other duties as assigned. That's not the case with sport coaches. So the more we as strength coaches can make that information you know, simplified and palatable in, in a manner that they can reach at any time, I think is going to be the best thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, most high schools don't have a just dedicated person that does strength and conditioning. So a lot of times, you know, a sport coach or, you know, you know, a sport coach that teaches five, six classes, maybe two, three sports, and now they have to do the weight room. I mean, that that's kind of a big load on that one sports coach, and you're saying, you know, drives a bus, has other duties besides just worrying about the weight room. So, yep. And, and uh, I think to add on to that, like something that we've done a really great job of in the strength and conditioning industry is we have really sold it to ourselves and to sport coaches that what we do is so like out of the scope of what they would ever possibly be able to understand. And no, they're not going to be able to understand just from a, you know, a time allocation standpoint, they don't have the time to allocate to researching to the level that you and I understand strength and conditioning, but there's certainly no reason that they can't be empowered with very basic knowledge to implement safe training programs, because you can't tell me that a coach that can learn the minutia of sport technique is not capable of learning some basic things to progress kids into something like a squat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Right now, most of these strength coaches that were are working, you know, with high school athletes, they're sport they're sport coaches as well. I mean, my instance here, you know, I'm I'm a football and track guy, and this past summer, I mean, they gave me the keys to pretty much say, you know, run the weight room, and it's just me and you know about fifty the fifty eighty athletes. I mean, that's I mean that's the reality of things. Right. You know, should. I, I like where the the field of strength conditioning is kind of going towards. You know, we're seeing more jobs pop, you know, kind of come up every now and again that it's no teaching, it's just strength conditioning, which is awesome. But the reality of things, it's more like a sport coach coaching two or three sports, teaching classes that are in there with them. Um, kind of going back a little bit, why go into the field of strength conditioning? Um, I saw this question on the list and I'm actually going to answer it with a, why not, um, why not go into strength and conditioning? And this is the reason that a lot of people get into it is because you like to work out. Number one, what happens to a lot of strength coaches over time, as you realize what the industry is really about is that, like I mentioned with my situation at TCU, your own personal health can suffer because your athlete's training program takes such a higher priority over your own. So if your primary motivator is, I think the weight room's cool and I'm a meathead and I like to lift, 
some people that works out for, and a lot of people it doesn't. Um, if you go into strength and conditioning, it should be because you want to use it. Just it's no different than wanting to be a volleyball coach or a football coach. It's something that you love that you, you want to use as an implement to teach life skills and to create better people. Um, weightlifting was just my tool to reach kids, to reach athletes on a personal level, not just a tool to make them better at their sport. Um, at the end of the day, as coaches, and, and this is, I think, a really important reminder as we come into the first few weeks in August when it's hot AF outside and coaches need to prove to their kids that they weren't here this summer and whatnot. At the end of the day, like what we do is we teach children to play like advanced versions of hot potatoes and like, don't let the balloon touch the ground to take that back a step further as strength coaches, we make them stronger to play those games. So if your mindset is only looking at the tool itself, like you're missing the boat on what your actual job is, which is making better humans and, you know, teaching life skills. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think are the more important life skills that we as strength coaches give our athletes? Um, this is such a controversial topic because it's, you know, we have like the shopping cart mentality and like people get like so blown up about that, um, which I see both sides of the issue. And I've, you know, spoken on both sides of the issue, but um, I think being on time is a big one um, that we need to teach kids because example, like you and I have a meeting set up today. Like you have stuff to do after I have stuff to do after I need to be respectful of your time that like 10 o'clock is 10 o'clock start time. Um, I think attention to detail is a big one. Um, I know that maybe, you know, everybody's like, Oh, get behind the line. And that really matters. But you know, it actually does kind of matter in sports because I do have to line up behind the line and so I can't just be out of bounds or, you know, offsides or whatever it is. Um, but you know, in life, like what I'm figuring out now, like I told you, I'm working that program sketch up. Well, I do a rendering and I send it where it needs to go. And they're like, yeah, the tone on this one rack doesn't look right. And it's like, well, that's like attention to detail that I didn't display in that moment. So like, it is something that's important to me. Um, I think another big piece is effective communication. So, and that's probably the biggest thing of I think where we get like in these really absolute mindsets. So for example, like the being on time thing, like I, I am a huge stickler for time and that kind of stuff. Um, but at the high school level, I kind of had to learn that that's not always workable. Like there was a wreck on the, on the highway leading into town or whatever. And like the kids physically couldn't get there. That's a situation where that kid just needs to come in and communicate that, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and, and having to have those exchanges, I think are a big piece to it. Um, and then I really think a big one is just the life lesson of fitness itself. Um, and I think that that's one that it's really, really important that we take our job seriously as high school coaches, um, to make it a positive experience because how many people on, you know, in the world don't want to run because they associate running with punishment because that's what was used with them when they were in high school. You know, one of the things I came across and I was on Travis Mash's podcast, I talked about this, but one of the things that I finally realized and had to wrap my mind around it is when kids came into me as freshmen, like sometimes that first day in the weight room was their very first day ever. And I think we can all think of times in our life that 
we've had a bad first interaction with a coach or a person or a situation. And that has shaped how we viewed that for the rest of our lives. We certainly as high school coaches don't want to be putting kids in a position where their view of the weight room is not good because we made it not good on the first day. Um, Instead, we need to be teaching healthy habits that are sustainable for them for a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're kind of that, um, that, mentor that I, that figure for a healthier life for athletes, you know, and the field strength and conditioning, I love where the perspective is going because it's no more or well, not as bad of chasing numbers, getting kids thrown on the barbell, poor quality movement. I think we're starting to have that shift into the longevity of the athlete, right? You know, we're, we're paying more attention to their health and mental, physical, emotional, you know, we're, we're, we're having that shift. And so I think that's a great thing that we're doing right now in strength and conditioning. I agree. Uh, let's talk about your job for a little bit. So what are the more difficult parts and challenges? And you kind of touched on it already that you face in your new job. Um, let's see. The, my current most difficult challenge is that I am running a software program that requires me to get all the way down into like a plate, like not like a lifting plate, but like a plate that's attached to the face of a, of a rhino hook, right? I've got to get all the way into that and I have to change that color. Well, to do that, I have to click down like layer through layer, right? And my computer is not for whatever reason. And after we get off this call, I'm getting on the call with someone that's going to like figure out what's going on, but my computer's not letting me do that. So it's taking me like three times the amount of time to do a rendering. And I'm already slow because I'm new and I'm just learning. Um, So right now I'm having my number one drama is tech issues. Um, The good news is, is that, you know, the people above me are doing everything they can to help me solve them. They're being very patient and understanding. They already think like I'm being told that I'm ahead of where they thought I'd be and like, I'm doing great and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then that brings me into my second, I guess, challenge and difficulty is that I don't do a good job of asking for help. So, and I don't do a good job of like, when I, I feel like I'm burdening people because I have all these questions. Um, and I know that in two months or whatever, I won't have them and I'll know, and I'll be, you know, actually earning my paycheck. Right now, I feel like I'm costing the company money because I'm costing them so much time teaching things, which is not any different than any other job. Um, But the other piece of it is like my side work stuff. So like we have this coaches conditioning cohort, which we can talk about later going and like I'm supposed to be like doing the programming for this and we're getting on a Zoom call tomorrow for it and whatnot. And like we're supposed to meet on Tuesday and my computer situations like hit the fan and I get on the zoom call and I'm like, I, I gotta go. Like I can't, and I'm like so stressed that I can't finish this meeting at seven o'clock with my business partner. And I just like, kind of feel like a jerk. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, it's really just new stuff. Like I, I don't see any real, and some of it's because I'm being shielded from a lot of the, um, you know, every job has its difficulties right now. I'm being kind of shielded from that because they're really wanting me to focus on one or two things. Um, but overall, it's just the struggle of learning versus there being, you know, I could tell you 15 challenges of being a strength coach that like are not solvable. 
the, the challenges that I'm facing right now with my position at Powerlift are solvable. It just is going to take hours of, you know, learning and experience to solve them. Yeah, absolutely. So on the opposite side, what are some of the positives for your new job? Yeah. So the biggest one, like I said, I'm a stickler for time. Um, there's no more panic about being to work on time because of, of a commute. So it's like, I lived 18 minutes from, or we still, we live 18 minutes from Byron Nelson, but I was probably allocating 30 to 45, depending on what time to get there. And then same thing on the way home. So that's an hour of your day. You lose commuting. I don't lose that now. In fact, like I think it was 7:50, or, and sometimes I start a lot earlier than that to get like going on my stuff before the barrage of emails comes in. Um, cause when business opens at eight, like all of a sudden your inbox is just getting flooded. Um, but anyway, like I'm standing in my kitchen with a coffee cup at 7:50, and I'm like, Hmm, well, I guess I'll just walk upstairs now and go do my job. Um, which is great. Cause like I said, we have four dogs. Um, and so that's a lot of like maintenance and, you know, my husband was having to come home last year during the school day. Um, and when they were puppies, I was having to, like, we were coming home between the two of us three times during the day. Um, so being able to be home with the dogs, um, is actually a huge bonus. Um, and then just like, I know we said there's some difficulties with learning. It's also like really cool to learn and, and to gain a new skill and, you know, to see that, I was on a call with someone who was working with me on SketchUp and I'd been on a call with them two weeks prior and all the things that I was struggling with two weeks prior, like I'm already just past that and have like new, like much deeper questions. And even when they, when they flew the SketchUp guy in to meet with me, you know, he's like, well, do this, this, this. And I was like, well, you know, you can shortcut that by a keystroke with this. And he was like, oh, okay. You know, so it's like, it's really kind of fun to learn um, and to encounter new challenges um, because if you're not challenged, if you're not challenged in any way, which is kind of where I was at, you know, in my position before, you're not growing at all. And I feel like I'm I'm growing tremendously in this new role. That's awesome. That's awesome, Missy. So when I talked to Daniel McKim, right, he's a store next rep. He kind of walked me through his day of what it looks like. So what does a normal day look like for you? Um, right now, it's not going to look like a normal day in two months. Um, but right now, what it looks like is I'll get up. We'll deal with whatever dog issue for feeding or training or walking, whatever that is. Um, I will typically do my conditioning workout before I start work. Um, shower and eat real quick. And then I will get on, you know, seven, 15 to eight, somewhere in there. Um, I'll usually check any emails that have come in after close of business the night before. Cause my, uh, my partner here in Texas sometimes is like working after hours. Um, it's just, it's kind of all over the place with, with schedules and whatnot. And so I'll, you know, I'm at that point, basically I'm tracking purchase orders. So what we're doing there is we're trying to figure out, okay, we have these three installs coming up next week. When are the third party equipment orders shipping to make sure they don't arrive too early or too late? So like I'm entering that in a tracking spreadsheet. Then once I get that in inbox cleaned out, like I've got whatever layouts that I have working on for the day, I'm working on those layouts. And I probably, I would say I don't move for about, and this is, this is probably the biggest difficulty that I didn't mention before. I've been in a school since I was five years old. And so I have a bell and it tells me when to go, what to go, when to stop, when to start. 
and it doesn't matter if the work is done or not, you go to your next thing. This I'll sit down and I will look up and it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't moved. I haven't like had a sip of water. Like I haven't eaten any food and I don't even realize that it's happening. And it's kind of funny. Cause I was like, I'm going to really struggle with not snacking all the time when I'm home and my fridge is right there. And it's like, no, what I'm actually struggling with is getting up and going to eat because I like don't have a starting and stopping point because I'm new at it. Um, but so I'll usually do about six hours or whatever on layouts. And then I'm kind of like fried. And so I'll go, um, I have a weight room in my garage. So I go lift for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Um, take a real quick shower. Cause it's 105 degrees in the garage and I'm really gross. Um, so take a shower and then come back and, you know, finish up the work day. Normally I'll start, I'll attend to the inbox again at that time. Um, and then finish up the day with layouts and stuff. And usually Sean and I usually get on a call about something two or three times during the day, um, just so he can kind of walk me through some of the processes. Um, so that's, I guess, a typical day right now. Um, I think a typical day in two months is going to be, you know, I'm working on one layout and then all these things happen. So I've got to call the third party equipment company and like push these orders out or whatever to get shipped. And then I go back to a second layout that we're working on because this person just needs an overhead layout and we need to send that there. Um, I'm also doing some social media stuff. Um, and so, you know, I've got to stop and spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, like either creating a post or, um, we all go follow us at powerlift underscore Texas, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, thanks. Um, so doing some social media stuff. So what I've learned about sales is that it's really a catch-all position where you have to be able to pivot your focus on a dime and then be able to go back and do whatever it was you were focusing on before that. Gotcha. So you have a lot of freedom right now in your new job. Um, yes and no. Um, yes. In that. Yeah. Like if I want to get up and like last week I got up at six o'clock in the morning and I worked from six to eight because I was like, this is two hours I can work on this layout and I'm not going to hear like ping, ping, ping in my inbox. And, and I'm not going to be distracted by that. But at the same time, then you've gotten up and you've worked two hours before business opens. Well, once business opens, all this stuff starts happening like at the home office and with all of the other, you know, vendors offices and stuff. So you're still kind of, you're a little bit tied to business hours um, because that's when other people are working. Um, now that's not like yesterday I had to run in, I had to go to the post office and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. So I, I, you know, got up for 30 minutes and went to the post office. So yeah, like I have flexibility. I'm not having to take off work or whatever to do that. Um, but it's right now, not as flexible as I feel like it will be in, I guess, a few months, because in a few months I'll have more ability to pause a project, go do something and then go back to it. Um, but more flexible than being told like a training session starts at seven and your next one is at seven thirty. Absolutely. That's kind of nice to have a little bit of flexibility. I mean, like you still have due dates, right? You need to have, yeah. It needs to be done at a certain time, but I mean, like you can get up and, you know, go to post office, do just errands throughout the day. You know, if you need something quick done, like, uh, I don't know, like going to the post office, you know, you, you have that freedom. You, you, you have the freedom where at like school setting where you have to take a personal day or you got to find right. a sub and you got to find someone else to do something. You know, it's 
that's pretty nice to have a little bit of freedom like that. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a thing in which, you know, like I mentioned with myself, I've been in a school since I was five. And now like, I'm like, I'm a great time manager. And then I get into a different role where I don't have someone managing time for me. And it turns out I'm not a good time manager. And it's not, you know, some people I think will struggle from the time management perspective of they're not going to get their stuff done. I struggle the opposite way of I need to stop and take a break because I need 15 minutes to get away from it so I can come back fresher and I'm just not doing that yet. Um, and I know that that's something that I'm going to learn how to do. And like, I've already changed, you know, another piece of that is, yeah, there is flexibility. So like on Monday morning, there's not a 7 a.m. JV tennis training session with a program that I've already written. And I just walk in the door and I don't have to be focused before because I can just walk in and see that and be like, okay, you know what I'm doing. Now it's like Monday morning, where did I leave off? What projects are unfinished? What do I need to start on? So I've started every day when I'm done working, I write a list of here's what I just, here was my stopping point. Here's the first thing I need to do tomorrow. Here are the five things or whatever I need to accomplish. That way, when I walk back into work the next morning, I have some structure for myself um, because I've always had structure. So I, I'm having to put those systems in place for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's kind of talk about like your personal life and work. How do you balance that? I mean, as strength coaches, we kind of get wrapped up in our jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, we we get wrapped up of, uh, well, we're in a weight room and, you know, I get to work with, you know, A, B, C, D, team, whatever. I mean, how do you balance your personal life with work? Yeah, so that's something I got long or I got wrong for a long time um, to the point that when my uh, my dad passed away 10 years ago and when he passed away, my parents were living about an hour and a half from TCU. So about an hour from my house. And I hadn't seen my dad for the previous six weeks because it was basketball season and I was too busy. Um, and even the day before he died, he died unexpectedly. Um, the day before he died, I thought to myself, maybe I'll go out and see him. And I kind of asked my boss and my boss kind of waffled around on whether or not it was okay for me to leave that afternoon when there was nothing going on. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going out there this weekend. So whatever. Um, and so what I learned from that experience is that work is really not that important. Um, when you look at the big picture of like, I had an offer, like everybody always wants that, like one more chance to see the person they loved. And I had that chance and I didn't take it. Um, and so what I kind of, at that point, I was like, you know what, if there's something that I need to do with my family, or if there's somewhere that I want to be with my family, um, I'm going to go do that thing. And if that means leaving and not having a group and someone has to take that for me, like, that's cool. Now I'm not going to not do my job. Um, but at the end of the day, like there are other jobs out there. I only had one dad. Um, and so, you know, I take time off when I need it. Um, a mental health day, like that's a perfectly, you know, I'll, I'll see coaches that are like, oh, this kid took a mental health day. And I'm like, well, good, because they might need it. And you might need one too. Like if you're that inflamed about it, like you probably need one. Um, so taking days off, um, I think a big piece to my life is having a hobby where it's like, I go play volleyball from six to 8 a.m. or whatever, a couple days a week. And that's time that I get to go be social and have time with my friends that I'm not worried about work. Now at, you know, 7.50, I start to get a little bit worried about work. 
Um, you know, we try to do date nights and stuff. And then obviously I have my hands full at home with, with four dogs and whatnot. Um, but ultimately it's really about prioritizing and then advocating for yourself. And it can be difficult to advocate for yourself when you're young and you're just excited and grateful to have a job. Um, but the reality is, is that like, we're in a coaching shortage right now. And so if you're a good coach, like schools are lucky to have you and they need to recognize that through providing you with the resources to take care of yourself. And if you're in a position where your job or your school or the head coach that you work for, or whatever it is, does not recognize the need for you to balance your work and your home life, that's not a job that you need to have for very long. Um, and those can be tough words to hear, um, but they're true. I think that's what some people need. They need to hear some of these tough words to saying that like, you know, there's much more to life than just your eight to five job, or I guess in the school setting, you know, a seven to two or seven to two thirty coaches wise, seven to seven, you know, right. there's more to life than just strength and conditioning. There's more to life than just working with athletes and your linear, you know, periodizations and all that stuff. There's more to life than all that. Um, oftentimes we get stressed. You know, we just kind of talked about, it. you know, uh, how do you manage your stress levels? And I'm sure you've been in the game long enough that you've experienced burnout. I mean, how do you manage that? Um, well, this week I managed it by uh, flipping out on my husband at one point. <laughs> this is how we'll, we'll start with how not to do it. So obviously, like with the issues I've been having this week with work with the tech issues, like I've been super frustrated because like I know what I need to do. I know what I want to do and what I can do. And I'm having something prevent me from that. So my husband comes in to grab the laptop that we're on right now doing the Zoom call because that's our home laptop. And he comes to put it back and I've got my hand on my mouse, like right where this other laptop lives. And he hits my hand while accidentally while I'm doing a rendering. And like, I'm so stressed out that I just blow up. And like in that moment, I was like, okay, it's time to take a step away from this computer because obviously like my stress and anxiety levels are like, if I'm freaking out because he accidentally hit my hand, now it deleted something in my program when he did it. Um, but there's no reason to put him six feet under in that moment just because he made a mistake. Um, so anyway, that's how not to do it. And I think that right now, like I'm having to, again, adjust to a different type of stress. Um, and so there's a learning curve there. Um, but generally speaking, I think the biggest piece to stress management is the perspective of what's important. So like we talked about just a moment ago of, okay, this is work and yes, it's important. And yes, it pays my bills. And yes, I'm building these relationships and impacting kids, but I can't do any of those things if I'm not taking care of myself. Um, the second piece is like I love, and I was actually, um, on a call with my therapist on, you know, Thursday or whatever, which I would, this is a, this is a stress management piece. I would recommend that coaches seek and really just people in general seek therapy. Like we go to nutritionists and we seek coaching and, you know, some people, you know, go to church and those types of things for self-care. Why are you not actively seeking a professional to help guide you through these? But she was like, you know, I noticed that you like to worry about things without sufficient information that would cause you to worry about them. And I'm like, oh, you mean borrowing trouble? Yes, that's my number one skill set. Um, so I think one is just what's under your control. 
what are you worrying about that you don't have enough information to worry about? So you've got to take things as it comes and not borrow trouble. Um, then once you have things under your control, like making sure that you're organized and prepared to handle them. Um, and then just, I don't like, I'm not an overly huge fan of the term self-care because I think that gets thrown around a lot without any resources given. Um, but for me, self-care looks like taking the time to exercise. Um, I'm pretty introverted. And so I have to have time pockets of time in my day where I'm not around anyone or dealing with anything. I can just be alone in my thoughts to process through what's going on. Um, so some self-awareness of what your needs are. Um, my biggest piece of self-care is working out and volleyball. Um, and so making sure that I allocate, like if I do, a, um, I think there's 187 hours in the week. And so like, sometimes I'll put pen to paper on how I need to chop those times up. Um, especially weeks, like I have upcoming where I need to write an article for simply faster. And, you know, I've got, uh, I need to work on a master class, and then I've got a zoom call for our coaches cohort and this, that, whatever, you know, putting pen to paper on when I can find time to do all these things and scheduling, like, like those are planted flags of, I am going to work out come hell or high water kind of stuff and, and making sure to spend, allocate time for, for yourself um, and not just get so bogged down with work and stress and all that, that you aren't handling those pieces because they're equally important. Absolutely. And the last, like, I would say probably about 10 years, mental health and mental just well-being has been such a raise in awareness, right? You know, and I think that's something that strength coaches, sport coaches, teachers, people in general need to kind of direct themselves towards. Like you're saying, go find a therapist, go do something that you enjoy, have a hobby, something like that. You know, I, I think that it's important that coaches don't get so wrapped up in their sport, their, their programming, whatever, and take time away from, you know, what they're doing. Like you were saying, you know, you, you're an introvert, and I'm, I'm, I relate to that. I'm an introvert as well, where we have to get away, you know, especially working with all those athletes, right? When you were at your high school, I mean, you had how many teams? Oh, 12 and like 400 athletes. I mean, you're dealing with 400 high school kids <laughs> who are annoying. Let's just put it out there. They're annoying. Oh, yeah. So annoying. And, you know, and they're, they do stupid stuff all the time, especially high school boys. And I was one of my stuff. I mean, like, they do the most ridiculous stuff i've ever seen in my entire life and you know you, if you don't pull away you're going to blow up on people and you know possibly say something that you weren't supposed to say or regret saying something so i think that's an important piece um do you still train athletes or people on the side you know um, yes. So I still like, I have a consulting business called safe iron. Um, and basically what I do is I work with schools that don't have strength coaches. Um, so mental reminder here, I have a program that's due tomorrow that's written. I just have to put one video into it. Um, but basically, yeah, like I get on a call with the coach or I'll go out and do a site visit. Um, I'll figure out how much time they have. I'll figure out what their facility looks like because Facility design and equipment availability is huge at this level. I can't write them a program they can't execute. Um, and then I also kind of talk to them about 
what their level of knowledge and, and comfort level with it is. Um, so how deep of a program can I write? Because if, again, if they don't have the requisite knowledge to implement it, it's not helpful. Um, so I'm, again, I'm working with schools and then I'm working with a coach named Tim Kettenring and who will be on a call here in a minute um, for a coaches conditioning cohort. Um, and we're running one right now. We've got, I think, 12 coaches plus the two of us participating. Um, and basically what we're doing is a 12 week aerobic conditioning training protocol, because conditioning is something that with the uptick in all the speed-based training, um, conditioning has kind of gone out the window. And the thing is, is that I 1000% agree with the push for actual speed work. Um, but the thing is we have to be able to be fast more than a few times in a game. Um, so aerobic capacity is what allows us to repeat those outputs. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, I've been of the mindset for a long time. Um, my job at Byron, I didn't really do any conditioning. I was always in the weight room with kids. So this is kind of something that, you know, I've gotten away from in the last six years since I've been there. Um, one of the oddities of that job. But anyway, you know, I, I've kind of taken the mindset of like, oh, you can just condition using your sport. Well, that's what I've done for the last few years with beach volleyball is like, I haven't done any conditioning. I just lift and I play my sport. I'm in awful shape, like from a, like from a cardio, I hate that word, but from a cardio perspective, like I'm in terrible, terrible shape, um, because that's the mindset that I've taken. Um, and the reality is that a lot of people are doing that with their teams. And so we're losing the ability to have those higher outputs late in, you know, set five or whatever in a volleyball game or in the fourth quarter in football, um, because we've done exclusively speed-based training. Um, so just kind of trying to, the, the cohort is designed to improve the fitness of the people who are in it, but also we're doing, you know, many lessons with them about how to apply this training program to the team. The program that we're giving them and that we're doing is not one that I would use necessarily with team sports because we're conditioning, I think, between three and six days a week, depending on if they're on a high or low volume track, um, you're not going to do six days a week of conditioning with team sports, because you do need two speed days and a change of direction day or whatever it is. And then you have practices and navigate around. So teaching them how to extrapolate their training program for athletes from what we're doing with their current training program. Um, so yes, I'm training athletes. Oh, and then let's not forget my most important athlete. Her name is Indigo Macbeth and she's my little agility dog. Um, so you'll occasionally see me post videos of her on Twitter. Um, she's not overly excited about her training. Um, we kind of have to have some discussions about like, you're going to go in that tunnel. No, really, you're going to do it. Okay, you did it. Good job. But, um, but yeah, I train her as well. That's awesome, Missy. Um, kind of peel back a little bit. Uh, the word conditioning, apparently on Twitter, has been a hot topic of what conditioning is. So what is conditioning to you? Uh, I don't really even want to get into all of this because there are, there are so many different perspectives. And I think, um, I think I was in a DM argument the other day about like everything being conditioning, like even speed work weights, all that is conditioning for something. Um, so I think here's what I think the issue is. The issue is conditioning has gotten a bad rap because people take the mindset of it's just mental toughness work. So you have all these football programs that are just out running kids into the dirt and with no purpose to it other than mental toughness and making them tired. And so 
discriminating minds of strength and conditioning professionals look at that and say, ooh, conditioning is bad. Let's do all speed work. Where the reality is, is that we need to balance it with things that actually train um, the bioenergetic systems that are needed for the sport that they play. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to go on record and say this. Mental saying that mental toughness is a bullshit excuse to run kids into the dirt. I mean, how many times in August and in the summer have we seen, you know, football player uh, died of heat stroke or anything like that? I mean, at one point is proving your dominance or whatever you want to say, mental toughness, whatever, sacrificing for a kid that just wanted to play a sport. I mean, I I really do think that saying that, well, we're going to build mental toughness is a bullshit excuse to run kids into the ground. So we've all um, we've all done stupid things in our coaching careers, um, either being hot headed or needing to prove a point or just being um, inexperienced enough to not know any better. I mean, it's one of those when we know better, we do better things. So I'm not going to say that there's never been a time that I haven't done overly tough workouts with kids to make the workout hard, like training at some point does have to be challenging. Um, but I think the difference between that being smartly applied and very poorly applied is understanding the training that led up to that. So like when I did push kids really, really hard, or when I do, we have progressed up to a point where I know they can physically handle it. Monday, we will start a lot of places will start their fall football camps and you will have kids walking in the door that haven't done anything all summer. And you're going to have, as you mentioned, these coaches that are out to assert dominance and be the alpha of you weren't here all summer and look what this caused. And my question to those coaches is, are you comfortable making a phone call home to a mom who dropped their kid off to play football and have fun today that their son is not coming home because you literally killed them on the field because you're a dumbass. Um, and so if the answer to that question, I hope is absolutely, I'm not okay with that. You need to meet that kid where they're at from a conditioning standpoint. And that might mean 25% of what the other kids are doing. And like, I get that we want to, you know, everybody trains the same and whatnot, but that's not reality and it's not safe. Um, and there's a lot of reasons that kid might it might be that the kid's just lazy and that's why they didn't show up all summer. It might be that they hate you as a coach because you're miserable to work with. And like, you should probably self-evaluate that maybe that's why they didn't show up all summer, or maybe they had a job or maybe they have constraints at home where they have to be the parent of a younger sibling in the summer. Um, so a little bit of um, self-reflection and a little bit of compassion um, mixed with a lot of being really smart um, I think can get us past uh, the unfortunate number that I think since 20, I want to say since 2012, there's something like 120 um, football related deaths. And almost every one of them has been during a conditioning session, um, which in my mind is pretty inexcusable, um, whether there's an underlying health condition or not. Right. And kind of tattle on myself here. I mean, when I was fresh out of college working with, you know, our football team and saw like the house, like, well, kids that have been here in the summer, you know, we're going to have a condition test. If they can't pass it, then, you know, they're not going to play whatever, which that's a whole other issue with itself. But 
as times kind of go on, it's like, well, you're telling me that a kid that had to be a parent to their younger sibling that has to be either the man or the woman in the house, you know, take care, whatever, has jobs, whatever, you're telling me that they, you're, you're going to make them do a conditioning test, which is more often times than not absurd, you know, ridiculous conditioning test. Anyways, um, and risk them possibly collapsing on the field. I mean, something about that yeah. sh- should feel uncomfortable to a, a normal human being should feel uncomfortable with that. And I think on the lower end of the scale, of course, like that's the catastrophic end of athlete death. But on the lower end of the scale, it's like, you know, you have these conditioning tests and your best athlete can't pass it. Are you going to not play that kid? No. So like basically what you've done is you've demonstrated to everybody on the team that the test really doesn't matter. So it's like you're creating this situation where you're drawing a line in the sand that's not really there. Um, A conditioning test should be used as a benchmark. Like it should be, we're going to test you now and then we're going to train you and test you at a later date to, to chart your improvement to evaluate our programming. It shouldn't be a gotcha. Right. Particularly when, like, what are the consequences of that? So like, why are you taking the risk? Why are you taking time away from skill development um, for something that you're really not using to make any decisions? Um, I think a lot of times coaches are trying to use those tests as like a proof to parents that like a reason to cut kids in sports that cut where it's like, well, they can't pass their conditioning test. Well, there's ways to do that that don't involve stupidity. You can track volleyball as an example. You can track how many serve receives out of 10 across everyone on the team were a three, two, or a one level pass. And then you can show like your daughter's passing percentage is a a 1.2. The kid that's starting on varsity is a 2.8. Like that's a big difference. We can, that's something trackable that you can see without having to pretend that running an eight minute mile is important in volleyball because it's not. Running miles in sports is really not that accurate unless you're like a cross country runner or a long distance runner. I mean, like general health maybe, but like football is short explosives and basketball, you know, it's a little bit in that anaerobic into some aerobic endurance. But, you know, for the most part, I don't think miles is, you know, having an eight mile run is. And this is kind of where we're getting into the aerobic conditioning stuff where there can be some, um, application to zone two work where they are running, you know, one to two, like the reality is a two mile run once a week is not going to make your kids slower. If the rest of your programming is there, um, would I prefer to see them off feet for conditioning for their zone two work, um, for either recovery or to maintain that aerobic capacity? Like, absolutely. But I don't think we can necessarily like bastardize running if it's properly applied. The problem is like what you're talking about where people just go blindly run their soccer teams five and six miles because that's the mileage they put in during a game. But it's like the mileage during a game is completely different than a long, slow distance run um, circles around the track. And more times than not, it's what the sport coaches were experiencing when they played that sport. And they're just like, well, that's all they know. And now they're gonna make their athletes do it. Sure. Sure. We've always done it. 
Absolutely. Um, I kind of want to talk about this question here before I get into the other question. So this is from Aislinn. Shout out to Aislinn for this one. Um, what's your opinion on paying dues? You know, that's a big thing in strength and conditioning. Like, I've seen guys and they say, well, I had a five-year internship, unpaid, at, you know, power five level, whatever. And they hold, they tell people, you know, this is what, you know, I pay my dues in strength and conditioning. What's your opinion on that? Um, my opinion is shut up. Like, because number one, um, when do you stop paying dues? Like, at what point have you, in so many words, arrived and no longer have to put in work? Um, the answer for me on that is that once you reach that point, like that you feel that you're above it, like you need to get out. Um, but to the actual point of where is that line? Um, this is a conversation that a colleague and I were having about a young coach. Coach is about 26, 27, massive social media following. Um, uh, I mean, pretty big social media following pretty quick. Um, he's a really good coach. And my colleague's point was, you know, he hasn't had any mentorship. Like he hasn't had this, that, whatever. And I was like, listen, like, I don't necessarily think, and I have had, you know, very good mentorship, but I don't necessarily think like having a mentor is a hundred percent what has to happen. And I don't think that there's an age number on having paid your dues because when I was 26 and 27 myself, to be honest, like I was probably at my peak. I would say that I was my very best coach at about 30, which is a pretty young coach. I don't think, I think I got more experience with more different situations, but I don't necessarily think that the quality of my coaching changed for 10 years in my thirties. And that's not to say like, I didn't grow and change, but I just, you know, I was a good coach. And, and the way that I was relaying it back to this person is I, you know, I watched, um, we, we held a clinic, the NHSCA held our, tech, our Texas State Clinic. And one of our speakers was Donnie May, the director of Olympic sports at the University of Texas. And if you've ever had the um, opportunity to see him speak, Donnie is a very gifted speaker. Donnie has charisma, which I think is um, an inborn trait for some people. Um, I think that, yes, you can develop that. You can certainly develop your speaking skills, but the level of speaker that he is and the level of engagement that he gets from an audience, I could spend years in speaking school. I could spend years in seminary. I could spend, you know, my entire life devoted to becoming that caliber of speaker. And I would never reach it because he's just so good. And so my point was, is that who's to say that there aren't just some phenom young coaches out there that just relate to people well, and they break down cues well. And, you know, so I don't think that, and I'm the first to be like, oh, these dang young coaches, like you kids get off our lawn or whatever. But at the same time, I think that that's very myopic to believe that just because you're a certain age or you have a certain number of years of experience that someone younger than you can't add value to our profession, because I think there are certainly a large number of examples of people who maybe are older now, but were very good when they were young or coaches that are young now that are contributing to our field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I 
I honestly didn't even think about that question. I know that's a hot topic in training and conditioning. You know, at what point is your dues paid? And, you know, there's strength coaches, young strength coaches out there that did not go through internships and, you know, had to, they got a $500 stipend at a D1 level and had to live off that 500, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, she wanted to know, and I, after she said that, I was like, I should ask that question for, you know, other strength coaches because that's something that I think younger strength coaches coming in this field need to hear. And I will say, like, I believe that, you know, some of those experiences that I've had where I was sleeping under my desk at 2 a.m. and I did make $18,000 my first year at TCU, like those hardships create growth and they create perspectives and understandings um, that you can't really get any other way. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we don't pay interns and everyone has to walk uphill in the snow both ways, barefoot, you know, whatever. But I think that, I think that there's some merit to going through some of those struggles. I think that our field, again, going back to that thing where, you know, people think it's just about lifting and working out and it's just this fun career where you get to have a fancy name on your chest. It's so much deeper to that, that I think that there needs to be a high entry barrier because it eliminates some of the people that aren't truly in it for the right reason. Um, but those that are, I think that there needs to be an, a way for them to get in that isn't just so, um, like you shouldn't be starving to death, eating muscle milk bars and protein shakes for six months as an intern, because that's all you can afford. Um, the school should can at least like feed you, give you some clothes. Like I was, I had to go and buy t-shirts from the bookstore. So I had enough TCU gear to wear for the first five days because they didn't have a budget. Well, by the time I left, we were buying interns t-shirts and it's like simple stuff like that. You don't have 40 bucks for t-shirts as an intern. Um, so I think that there's ways that without making it like this smooth, easy transition. in, I think there's little ways that we can improve um, the lower paying positions and, and the unpaid positions in our field. I totally agree with that. And kind of tying in with that as well. I mean, what advice would you give a young student or athlete that wants to go into strength and conditioning sport performance? Um, number one is I think you need to get in and you need to get experience to determine if it's something that you want to do. Um, because a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people do, like we would have intern classes at TCU and I would say maybe 20% are still in the field because it's like they go and dedicate a semester of their life to eating muscle milk bars for their nutrition, three meals a day, because that's all they can afford. And then they realize like, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think again, just getting in and doing some volunteer work, um, before your internship is probably a good idea, even if it's a couple hours a day. Um, I think it's also like I talked about before understanding it's not about you and it's not about your workouts. It's about athletes. It's about their development and it's about how we can get them where they need to be. Um, there's also more to life than being a power five strength coach. Um, I talk to people all the time that, and again, I, you know, I said that from a mindset perspective and a training perspective, I fit better in the collegiate sector than I do the high school sector. However, that's not the case for everybody. And so instead of looking at the logo on people's shirts and determining whether or not they're a good strength coach and whether or not that's a good position to hold, 
I think you need to look at more options. There are opportunities at smaller, at division two, II, division three schools, um, at, you know, whatever the non-power five schools are called these days. Um, high schools have tons of opportunities um, where you can still be a strength coach and you can have a quality of life that you might not get at a power five level, particularly early on. Um, I think you also need to look at the earning potential and understand, are you okay with that? Because do I believe we need to be higher paid in the profession? Yes. But I believe that about teaching, about coaching at the high school level, about a lot of places in it, but it's like, that's, I signed a contract at X number. Yeah. The head football coach makes a lot more than me. And yeah, that's maybe not fair, but that's what the current situation is. So if you're not okay with that, I would advise you to not get into the field until that changes. Um, so I think understanding, you know, what career paths look like, and, and that was kind of for me where it's like, well, I'm kind of at the top of where I can go. So maybe it's time to move on somewhere else where I can move up in the ranks. Um, so understanding career paths and salary. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. It, it. Talk to as many people as you can read as read as much as you can learn as much as you can. Um, are the other like obvious answers to the, to what to know for young coaches. Right. Absolutely. Um, what are your top five coaches that influence you in strength and conditioning? Um, I'm not going to do five. I'm going to do two. So number one is Reb Brock, who is currently the head strength coach at Harker Heights high school in Colleen, Texas. Um, he was my mentor at Copper's Cove. Um, and you know, we get, friends in our lifetime. And then we get those like lifetime friends, um, that you can count on one hand that are going to be with you through thick and thin. Um, and Reb and I have been friends for gosh, 17 or 18 years now. Um, he's actually, he works with me in the NHSCA now, because when I got my position as regional board member and I got to name a state director, I'm like, who do I trust most on this earth? I trust Reb Rock to help me out. Um, and he just kind of, found me lifting weights one day and said, Hey, you're good at this. Why don't you, you know, why don't you coach powerlifting for us? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't, what three lifts? Like I really, I knew nothing. I just worked out. Um, and so he kind of took me under his wing and showed me how to teach lift, you know, basic lifting progressions, cleans and squats and snatches and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he's the one that encouraged me to go into it full time. Um, so really I credit him with everything that I am is because of what, you know, the path that he started me out on. Um, and then the second one is I was incredibly fortunate at TCU to work with Zach Dakin, um, which is, he's the author of Movement Over Maxes. Most people know who he is. He's probably the best baseball strength coach in the country. Um, I say probably just so as not to offend others that might be listening, but um, yeah, Zach and I worked together at TCU for seven years. Um, when I interned there at first, he was our internship director. So I guess he kind of mentored me and then you know, it was more of a peer coworker relationship, but he's the smartest strength coach that I know. Um, and it was an incredible opportunity to get to learn from him. So those two are the main ones. Um, like I said, I don't think you have to have a laundry list of strength coaches that have taught you a bunch of stuff, just like I'm self-teaching myself, self-teaching myself. That's really well-worded. Um, just like I'm teaching myself sketch up right now. Um, you can kind of teach yourself to be a good strength coach if you just learn and put yourself in the right position to get good quality experience. Absolutely. And you were talking about the NHSSCA being their state director. How's that? Um, 
So I'm technically the regional director. Thank okay. you. So the, uh, I managed Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Um, it is, it can be challenging because you're dealing with people in a very different capacity. Um, we deal with a lot of things. It's really been a growth opportunity to learn what, you know, everybody always has suggestions for how the CSCCA and the NSCA should be run and they need to do this and that better. And the NHSCA needs to do that. And it's like, well, it's easy to have ideas and it's completely different to be behind the scenes and understand what it actually takes to implement those ideas. Um, so it's been huge learning, um, a learning curve for me coming into a relatively young organization where we have like our founders have great business knowledge. They have great coaching knowledge and they have done tons of like legwork to figure out how to run something like this. Um, that being said, we're still fairly young. So there are situations that we come across that we maybe don't know how to handle. And so it's like, we have to meet as a board and we have to figure out what is our policy going to be on this. Um, so it's actually been really cool um, from a learning perspective, um, from a perspective of getting to give back to the field. I think it's incredible. Um, you know, we run our, we run regional and state events. Um, like we just had our state clinic a couple of weeks ago um, and you get to create lineups of speakers and, you know, host people and everybody's really excited. Like they have no idea that you're like sweating bullets in the background, trying to make sure that everyone has this and that, and we're all registered and, and whatever. Um, but, you know, you just get to walk in and see them enjoying their learning and networking opportunity. Um, and so that's really been awesome, especially with me transitioning out of coaching full time. It's still a way for me to impact and give back to the field. Um, so I've really, really enjoyed it. That's awesome. I enjoyed the NHSSCA SNATCON in Nashville. I mean, I was in your group session of plyometrics and learning progressions and everything like that, and it was completely awesome. And you know, I, I really enjoyed the organization and what it's doing right now. So, um, who is a coach that you believe everyone should be following? Whether this is Twitter, Instagram, social media, just in general. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to my business partner here, um, Tim, Ket wow. Tim Kettenring. Maybe I should get his name right when I'm going to give him a shout out. But um, he is kind of branding himself as the conditioning guy. And he's who I'm partnered with for this training cohort, um, which kind of how that developed was I was uh, I do work in a software program called Fit to do all of my programming, FYTT. Um, and he is a Fit customer. And so when it came to doing the program, I was kind of showing him the ropes of how to do it. And he was like, Hey, will you get on this call with me with this cohort to kind of go through how to navigate the app with people? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, Oh, by the way, um, you're also going to be doing the training cohort cohort. And I was like, uh, and then he was like, Oh, and also you're coaching. And I was like, okay, wonderful. Um, but his, um, knowledge of conditioning is, you know, much greater than mine. So you asked what conditioning was, he would have given you like a flowery answer instead of my like, well, this is what it's not. It's not stupid mental toughness stuff. Um, but he's good. And he's, he's a coach that where I'm very introverted and I don't like reach out to a bunch of people. Like he's on five phone calls a week with other strength coaches, learning and networking and all that kind of stuff. So, um, give him a follow. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Missing. That's awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time and working through technical difficulties to be on here and uh, to share your story, to share perspectives and, you know, just 
be you on here. That's it's completely awesome to finally get to talk to you and really meet you one on one. So Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry on that. In the name of strength, stay strong, have a day today, and hydrate responsibly. Thank you, Missy. Thank you.